0: Is anybody else transported back with just the piano playing that, like some, some good old like country church I was just back to my, back to my uh, childhood in church. It was good. Not that we hadn't sang the song before, but just with the piano was rich. So I'm joined up here with some friends. These are the Flannerys. Uh, if you oh yeah have a seat wherever, uh, wherever, there's two options. Heidi, But wherever. Thanks. Move it around if you want. I don't care. Um, so if you are a member here at The Journey, you've gotten a good bit of communication. Hopefully, if you haven't been receiving those and you, you have gone through a membership process, then please let me know as we we didn't intend to leave you out, but there may be an uh, email hitch. Uh, the rest of you, this might be a little bit new, but we have been in the process of, of seeking the Lord's will for um, staffing here at The, at the Journey, and um, he's been really faithful to provide. As elders, it's been really um, honestly, over the last few months, kind of a privilege to, to kind of process um, what he's doing and, and see some clarity and confirmation come into picture, come into view, particularly with the worship team and what he's doing there. And, um, and and then allowing us to, okay, now what's going on with student ministry and then broader than that. And so in that conversation, um, it, it, fun story, I shared a little bit of it on the, the video that I, I sent out this week, but um, we just kind of, were brought back to some folks that I'd known for a while. I did not know he was looking to get into ministry, so I'll let him talk about that in a minute, but this is, uh, this is my friend uh, Chad and his wife, um, and they are the Flannery's. They currently live in Harrisburg, and um, they we're excited to present them to you all as a candidate for associate pastor here at The Journey. So uh, again, if it works out, we'll have to clarify the title, because uh, it's associate pastor of students and some other, lots of other stuff, right? Kind of executive pastor type roles, so we'll figure out exactly what that looks like. But uh, We're excited, and I think there's a good complement of gifts uh, with myself. And so we're excited about that possibility. But uh, today is a day of uh, of opportunity for you guys to get to know them a little bit more. So we're going to do an abbreviated version of what I sent out on video this week. Um, And then Chad will be here tonight with his family to teach uh, at Student Ministry. And um, inviting you guys to come a little bit before or after and uh, meet them if you didn't get a chance to this morning. And even sit in, listen, especially parents, students come tonight, um, and so, so that'll be tonight, and they'll also hang out afterward, but I just wanted to give you guys just a little bit of a chance to hear from them, so I just, you know, you could start, ch- how do you, can, you can speak as much or as little, I'm sure you'll need to correct him at some point, so um, that's right. yeah. so that's what you're here for, um, so just tell a little bit about where you're from, uh, how'd you end up, because you're not from here, right. um, and how'd you end up here, how long you been in Illinois, what's your family,
1: makeup, you got some kiddos, all that stuff. Sure, so... My name's Chad, this is my wife Heidi. Uh, We have three children of our own. Savannah is in seventh grade, Sawyer is in fifth grade, and Sailor is in third grade. And then we have a little foster guy who is a toddler and he's back in the back. So uh, we are not uh, original to Southern Illinois. We are transplants from Kentucky. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, and my wife is from Bowling Green, Kentucky, and so, uh, I've worked in higher education my entire career, and so we uh, was at some schools in Kentucky and then in Indiana before uh, making the the move to Southern Illinois about 10 years ago. Um, I forget. What's the next question? I think that's <laughs> it, man.
0: Yeah. So you've been here 10 years, um, out of junior college as yes. your dean of students currently, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, and you guys go to First Baptist Harrisburg, which y'all, if you don't know, they has been a super big blessing to us. They send us uh, worship teams and or pieces of worship teams and leaders. They've just been uh, a blessing. They they jokingly call us their West Campus because their worship true. team is here, a lot, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, but we love that church and it's it's been fun. And I know his pastor quite well. We we get together often. And so, um, so yeah, it, it's it's been a cool. Y'all have been a blessing to us long before you know this conversation. So. Yeah, um, so, Dean of Students Now, tell us, what, like, how we get here? how did you get to this conversation of considering uh, this role in ministry? Why, why now? Give us some insight
1: into that. Sure. Um, this is something that Heidi and I have always felt the pull um, to be in some sort of ministry. Uh, we never had that kind of aha moment where um, you're, you're called and you go to seminary, and then, then boom, you're, you're a preacher. Um, and so it's always sort of been in a, a lay sort of role, but uh, over the last couple years. Which um, you've done, to be fair. Yes. You've been a deacon,
0: you've, you've yes. led, you've been volunteer youth pastor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: We've, we've done a little bit. My wife actually serves at the church in, uh, in the office at FBC. Uh, and so we've, we've been able to plug in there, but one of the things our pastor has really hit on over the last several years is who's next and uh, we we've just sent out the third family from our our body there uh, into overseas missions Uh, and so he's always asking who's next who's next to take the the gospel to the nations who's next to um, serve in full-time ministry who's next to just go and tell and so that has been a question that has been laying on our hearts uh something um God, are you calling us to be the next ones to leave, the next ones to go out and to serve and and to count the cost and to give up everything that we know in order to, to take a role that we've never really jumped into quite like this? So uh, that question has just been on the forefront of our minds, and this is not an opportunity that we... Uh, Initially set out for. It's not like we just started sending out resumes saying, "Hey, yeah. we're interested." It it really came through, uh, just God closing some doors and opening others. Uh, it and is, a random mm-hmm.
0: conversation between Heidi and my wife Riley, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was yeah. about
0: foster care, and yeah, yeah. it just came up, and yeah, mm-hmm. she was, Riley joked, "Well, would he consider a job at the church?" And he was like, "Yeah, actually." <laughs> and so I called him. I was like, "Dude, I don't know what's going on, but like, let's have a conversation." And so. Um, and, and I just thought it was so rich—the song that we sang right before, that like the the course. If Lord, if you're not in it, I don't want it. And uh, and just standing behind you guys and knowing the conversations we've had, even from that one on, like it was just a it was a cool prayer to be praying and, and singing together. And I know that that's I know that you I know enough about you to know that your heart too in this. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, I, I cut you off, but you were talking about how you got to this point of like saying, "Okay, yeah,
1: let's explore this." Yeah, I, I mean, uh, God has been faithful to. As, as we've prayed, God close close the door on where we're at and open the door where we need to go. And so he has been faithful uh, to guide us. Um, and and so we're here stepping out in faith, um, confident that, that he, he's gonna lead where he leads.
0: Awesome. Well, one of the things that I am most excited about, because a lot of times when you're trying to, you know, call a, a pastor on the staff, you're, you don't know them very well, right? And that's a challenge to check references and see. You know, one thing to have an interview, but to to get into the character and that sort of thing. And so we've not been close, but we've known each other for several years. And uh, and then again, I've known your pastor. We're close. I mean, he, Chris and I are. He's a, he's an older brother to me that I lean on, and we've walked through hard stuff together. And and uh, and it's cool for me to know that you've been walking with him. And and. He's been, able to, he's been walking you through this process of exploring this call to ministry and so able to confirm everything that he's said and to speak to. So what I'm saying is this is a known quantity to me, which is exciting. I know y'all don't know him as well, and that's part of the purpose of today, but that, that is exciting to me to know like, uh, that this is a lot more of a, of a known quantity. So the other thing I appreciated that you, you shared, or Chris, one of the two, uh, talked about when you're, you're thinking this through, like, okay, if we're going to leave the church that we love, that's, that's doing some really good things, and step into vocational ministry, one of the pieces of advice I think he said was like, make sure you're going to a church that you, if you're gonna go serve on staff at a church, make sure it's a church that you would attend even if you weren't on staff or something like that. Um, so you haven't, I haven't even heard your answer to this, but I assume the fact that you kept having conversations with me that we would qualify for that. <laughs> but I thought that it would be cool for our, our, our congregation to hear just why you're excited to you know, um, have an opportunity here at the journey Like about it.
1: Yes, and, and so Chris, um in meeting with him gave me that advice that it, if you're gonna serve on a church, make sure it's someplace that you are comfortable going. And so uh, as we, um, several years ago, were looking for churches, we actually came and visited at The Journey. Uh, it's a place that it, that we enjoyed, but um, because we lived in Harrisburg, we wanted to plug in where we were, were at. And so ultimately that that factored in our decision and not to uh, attend in. here. And so again, had nothing to do with this. We really enjoyed it. but. Uh, over the years, as we've gotten involved with foster care, um, we've, we've been a part of this uh, a little bit from afar. Yeah. Uh, coming to events here uh, as we've gone through that foster care journey. Uh, and again, knowing you and your family, uh, knowing what you're about, coming here and, and serving some. Uh, when we've sent worship teams over, uh, this is not an unfamiliar uh, territory for us. Because so, you played
0: bass when, they, when, when when FBC's center worship band over, a lot of times Chad's been on the bass. Mm-hmm.
1: So. so this is just a place that, that I think that we're, we feel comfortable with. Uh, it's a place that we're very familiar with. And, and again, we, we love the preaching. We love the teaching. And um, we love that it, it's rooted in the Word of God.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to pray. and I'm going to pray that prayer from the song that, hey, Lord, if you're not in this, none of us want it. Right. It's just true of our church in general. So inviting you guys to pray with us. So, so again, this is part of a process. So elders, I, I've been walking. We, we, we've had a lot of conversations. He, he's had some conversations with the elders. Uh, Heidi got to come hang out with some of the elders and wives. But we, you know, this is y'all's turn to, to lean in a bit. And so this is a process. We want to hear from, from you all, as we've said in the email, especially to members. So uh, he'll be back tonight to hang out. And then over the next few days, we'll just be uh, asking for feedback from you guys, engaging us. Um, asking questions again because i 've known them sometimes you know uh, things I might not click with me that you might have a question that 's really helpful for us so we 'd rather hear from you on the front end but we 're excited to see what the Lord does in the next few days and to be able to uh, come back to you' all so this is this is your opportunity, but I am inviting you to pray this prayer along with me that the Lord would would provide clarity and um, confirmation and, um, and guidance as as all of us walk through this together, your kids included um, and so uh, have the flannerys in, in your prayers as well so um uh, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for taking a minute. Thanks for coming over this morning. Thanks for coming on stage and sharing with me. And, uh, and um, yeah, they'll be here after service. Ask them, to just hang out up front. Y'all can come say hi, ask questions. Um, and then again tonight at student ministry. So, all right, let's pray. God, um, that is our prayer um, that you would guide, that you would make it clear. Uh, and if you're not in it, we don't want it not because we don't love and are excited about the planners, but we don't want, and we won't. We don't want to be outside of your will. We want to. We want to be in step with you and your guidance. So we pray that that would be clear. We pray that you would bring confirmation on all the sides or clarity of, of, of closing a door. Whatever whatever your will is, that's what we want, Lord. So we surrender our our church, our, it, our church's future. Uh, it's I could I could tell stories all day about the way that you have provided for this body uh, beyond explanation on paper. Uh, the journey SI has has, has been. Um, been through a lot and, and it's a miracle to, to still be gathering but you clearly have um a future for us reaching um the people of Southern illinois and the nations um through kingdom advancement and so we we want to have your will in guiding who who is um who's on staff and in equipping these saints for the work of the ministry so we pray for your guidance in that we pray that um for our side Lord, as a church body, for the Flannery's as they process, um, we pray for your guidance. We surrender ourselves to you, and we ask that you would make it clear and provide for us um, all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, y'all.
2: My name is Jenna Stotler. I am your scripture reader today. It is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 16, and you can find it on page 811 in the Bibles in front of you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases by the Gentiles, phrases as the Gentiles do, for they drink that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done as earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord.
0: go ahead you're good I don't want to hit you with this thing it's heavy so when I was a freshman in high school super excited to be on the basketball team and uh, our first game go out warm up nervous probably not even going to play right but I'm nervous anyway and we go back down to the locker room and we have a quick little huddle coach gives final exhortations and whatever assignments and everybody goes all right let's take a knee and then we, 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 you know, do the huddle thing. We take a knee, and everybody starts saying the Lord's Prayer. And I had, that's the first time I ever heard the Lord's Prayer. I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what we're saying. Like, everybody's like, our Father God in heaven. And they're just like spouting off. And I was like, I don't know. So I was just like moving my mouth, pretending. I, was, I, didn't, I had no idea what they were saying. And here's the, here's the funny part. If you would have asked that whole basketball team before the game, hey, who do you think's most likely to know the Lord's Prayer? They would have picked out Jordan Bird. Because I was the Christian kid. Like, I got saved right before high school, right before we started high school, and I started living for the Lord, and so I was, like, kind of getting a reputation, sometimes getting made fun of, sometimes getting respect from, for following the Lord. And so people thought that I was the Christian kid, but I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know this prayer, but all of them did. And then I was real confused, because, like, I am supposed to be the Christian kid. I know these other dudes. They're not pretending to be the Christian kid, but they knew this prayer. Isn't that weird? How many of y'all memorized this prayer? as a kid. Yeah, so it's one of those things that's so culturally familiar, right? It's so, it, 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 it is, it's just so familiar to our culture at large that it, it actually runs the risk of losing its impact, right? Um, it, it's so familiar that, you know, everybody kind of knows it. Does anybody really understand it? And does it have its intended effect and impact on us? So um, I also remember about that same time, a little bit later, um, we, my, my mom and I moved and I, we were um, on a highway that was um, a two lane highway that the, a ton of coal trucks traveled. So semi trucks uh, going from uh, from the coal mines to the river uh, would travel there all the time. And that's just loud in general. My uh, my bedroom was about as far from here to the to the to the back doors of the sanctuary from the highway. And so just a semi in general was like loud room and it would just kind of almost rattle the house a little bit. Well, then, not long after we moved in, they started repairing a bridge like 50 yards down from my driveway, which meant that they put those rumble strips on the road right out in front of my house. You know what I'm talking about? The slowdown. <laughs> so now not only do I have semis, but like they're, now they're Jake breaking because we're they're coming over a hill and, and they're, they're about to they have to stop. So now they're, they're on their break, you know, maybe Jake, you know, so that's loud in general. And then they're all 18 wheels, right? And it would like shake my bedroom. And, my, and I was so I remember like the first time at night, I was like, oh my, like, I, th- I thought there was a chopper overhead, right? Like I'm ready to fight, looking for my gut, like, I don't even know why anybody would be in rudiment with a helicopter, but that's what I thought. <laughs> it's just like startling me, right? But you know what, like, I don't know if you know how these projects go, they're not fast. Right, so um, that was like two and a half years of that. It just never went away. Um, and even when they fixed the bridge, they didn't take those things out. They just had to get worn down, right? And so, guess what? After a few weeks, I didn't get woke up by it anymore, right? I got used to it. Anybody ever grow? Anybody live next to a train, right? Same kind of thing. At first, it scares the snot out of you. You're like, oh, right? And then you just, just don't even wake up. Don't even acknowledge it. You get used to it. I remember I had some friends over. Right? Same thing at night. They're like, oh my God. Like what? It's fine. It's, it's just a semi right outside our window. Um, it, we, stuff that that has an impact so strongly initially over continued exposure to it can lose its influence, can lose that, uh, that the effect that it was intended to have. And I think the Lord's Prayer is similar in our culture. It's one of those things that so many people have memorized, so many people have heard recited, that we, it's just kind of this cherished piece of poetry, and it is, kind of po- it is poetic, but man, the context here, the, the teaching, the, the impact that Jesus' words here should have on us is profound. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer, and prayer in general. How do we approach God, and what is Jesus' teaching here? And it's so insightful that if you, if you remember the context of here at Matthew 6, how many of you knew the context of Jesus giving the Lord's Prayer was hypocrisy? that he's, he's literally teaching about hypocrisy, which we did last week, and we skipped over this because he teaches about hypocrisy on the front end, and, and then he, he talks about prayer, and he kind of su- sidebars and gives us this, this model prayer, and then he goes back to hypocrisy. So the context is hypocrisy, which is so interesting and insightful and kind of goes back to the original story that I showed you know, or told you from the basketball team because those dudes were just doing this out of ritual. Right? There was no sincerity of their heart. They, were, they weren't following the Lord, most of them at least, but, but they knew this prayer. So it's so, so interesting that the Lord, this prayer that the Lord used to teach about genuine prayer has now become a thing that is, is used culturally that, that has lost its impact. But that context is important because what Jesus is doing here, it's not, it's, it's not so much about the negative of telling us not to be the hypocrites and, and to not do it this way, but it's actually a very firm, and very clear, and very fr- profound invitation to do it this way. It's, a, it's an invitation not to do things disingenuously, not to do things out of, purely out of ritual, not to do things in a disconnected, cold-hearted, cultural way, but rather to lean in and to come in to the Lord as a father. And it's a profound teaching that Jesus is inviting us to here um, to experience the Lord different than the way the world does. Because the world, it, like prayer is not, prayer not controversial, is it? Like people who want nothing to do with Christianity, people who, who, would, who would, you know, renounce faith, they're not a Christian, they would never come to a church service or whatever. They're not, like, they're not afraid to pray or ask for prayer a lot of times, right? Facebook, right? Prayers, please. Prayer requests. Pray for these people. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but we sort of had this this cultural expectation and tolerance. Okay, something has happened to these people. We're praying for them. Prayers for Ukraine. Prayers like. And so our world, whether they are following Jesus or not, is is used to throwing around this idea of oh, pray for so and so, or I'll pray for you, or please pray for me, right? And 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 so one pastor, I I don't know who the author was, said like every like you anybody can pray, right? You don't have to be a Christian to pray, but you can't be a Christian and not pray. Because at the heart of the understanding of what it means to, to follow Christ, to, to be a part of his kingdom, is to be in relationship with the living God. And you know, practically speaking, you're not going to have a relationship with somebody if you're never communicating with them, right? And so that's, that's the heart. That's the emphasis of prayer is, is communing, talking through, walking with God. And so Jesus is so brilliant. Teaching about hypocrisy, showing, hey, this is how the world does. It. Don't do it that way. And then he just slides us in and does it this way. And it's such a succinct and profound teaching. The Lord's Prayer, which we all of us have, have most of us have memorized and have heard so often, is, is really this profound summary of actually the whole gospel, the whole, um, you know, Christian faith, if you will. it, 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 it runs parallel with. Um, Jesus is teaching on the great commandment, right? If you remember the story when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trip him up. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In that, Jesus sums up the whole law. The Ten Commandments. If you do, if you do that, you're loving God with all you got. You're not going to break the first six. If you, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going like to break the last four. Actually, I think I flipped those. But it, he, he sums those up. The two tables of law: love, love God, love your neighbor. You won't break the other commandments. This actually runs parallel with that. The first half is about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second half is is beseeching. It's it's petitions, but it's actually a, a lot about a communal response and loving our neighbor as ourself. And so Jesus is teaching us and boiling down back to the heart, back to the point of it, of prayer. And, and so the context here is, hey, don't do it this way. So he's actually correcting. He's saying there's a wrong way to pray. And in their culture, it looked this way. They, they were people that would either stand on the street corner out of hypocrisy, wanting everybody to see them using big words, holding their hands up, just making sure that everybody knew that they were praying right? And then he goes on to say, okay, so don't do it like that. Do it in secret. We talked about that last week. But then verse seven, he says, also don't, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Don't just, don't just keep on babbling, if you will. Other translations will actually say that, or rambling, or babbling. Or it says, for they think that they're going to be heard for their many words, right? So there's a... There's a inclination that if you pray a certain way or if you pray with a lot of words, then the Lord will hear you or you've got, and some of you have felt inferior to pray in public because you don't feel like you have the ability to pray eloquently, right? Because, you know, just like we were taken back when David was playing, uh, the, uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus on the piano. A lot of you grew up in churches where people were called upon to pray, right? And you know, some people were, they were, man, they were good prayers. They were like varsity prayers, they knew all the good words, right? They, 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 just, they, they prayed in King James language, and it was, just, it was eloquent, and it was beautiful. And if you got called on, you're like, Lord, thanks for the day. Bless the food. Amen. And you felt humiliated because you didn't pray right. And that's not what it's about. You say, it's not about the right word. It's not about the amount of word. No, it's, there's, there's something more to that. But he is saying there's a wrong way to pray, and he's correcting it. He's correcting it, and he's inviting us into it. So he's saying, hey, don't, don't be like the Gentiles that just, this is verse 7, just heap up lots and lots of words. Don't be like them. Uh, if you know the story of Elijah and the showdown of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, and if that's new to you, it's a fascinating story in the Old Testament, um, but they, they sort of have this showdown. Okay, you know, God's people are tempted to be drawn to worship this false god, Baal, and so you know, Elijah's like, all right, I've had enough. Like, we're going to show who's God once and for all. So they set up this, this, uh, this, these two altars, right? And he says, all right, you pray to your God, and whoever sends down fire and consumes the the, the, the offering, that's whose God will worship. We'll all leave here in agreement. Uh, that's the winner God, right? And so they, they agree to it, and and they and he goes, all right, y'all go first. So it's a it's a it's a baller of a story. Like I love Elijah. Like y'all gotta, go ahead, take all the time you need. And then they just like. They start praying. Right. And it goes on hours and hours and they're saying the same thing and they're chanting and they start cutting themselves and they, they start pl- like, and, it's, and he goes, well, maybe like keep going. Maybe your God was just in the bathroom and he didn't hear you. He starts mocking them. Maybe he fell asleep. Right. It goes on for hours. All their words, all their rituals, all the things that they could muster. And guess what? Nothing. And then he goes, all right, my turn. You know what? Before I start, go ahead and drench this thing with lots and lots of water. I don't want anybody to think there was spontaneous combustion on this altar. Water, more water, more water, more water, more water to the point that there's a trench around it and it's soaked. And he goes, all right, Lord, short, quick prayer. Lord, show them what's up. Like that's my translation. But He's like, Lord, show them who's on the throne. Whoosh, licks every last drop of that. It's awesome story. First Kings 18. But in that, there's this point of, hey, God is not persuaded by your like loads of words and your rituals. And Jesus says it very clearly. He says, don't be like them verse 8 for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And in that right there we're brought to this realization, this confrontation with the actual the real issue of prayer. Who are we talking to? How do we view them? What's our posture before them? Because for those prophets bail like they're, they're, this is a this is a business exchange, right? They're thinking, that, you know, they, they've served him. They're, they're owed this. They're asking him to show up and pay, the, pay, pay back what, they've, what they put in. Elijah knows his God. He knows what his God's agenda is. He knows the glory. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, you, know, you don't need to spend a whole bunch of words. Your, your, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. But there's still, we'll talk about this next week is kind of why do we pray then? But there's still this assumption that we pray. So, so what is the posture that we take? And right there, we see that there is this, there's this contrast. If you notice it, he says, "For what your father," and that's not isolated. If you will start back at the very end of chapter five, when Jesus is wrapping up the, you have you said, you've heard it said, but I'm here to tell you, and he's shifting into this next section of scripture. He uses uh, the the word, you know, heavenly father in verse forty-eight of five. And if you follow that all the way down to the end of chapter 7, I counted in my translation 15 times that Jesus uses the word your father. Actually, I think 14 times he says your or our father. One time he says my heavenly father. And, And there's very explicit contrast when he's talking about the hypocrisy. We looked at it last week. Right? We're doing. He, he's saying some people are doing religious activities to get noticed by other people. That's the reward. But what's the what's the invitation from Jesus? No, don't don't do that. Instead, just do it in secret. Why? Because your father, okay, sees and who is in secret sees in secret. And your father, he repeats it so close together. In the same sense, he says, do it in secret. And your father, who's in secret. He will reward you in secret. And he says, your father, again, your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. And he goes on. The same thing about giving to the needy. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Same thing about fasting. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's this refrain, this repeat. There's this, And he's saying, listen, the, the world treats prayer and treats divinity, treats their God in, in one way. You, as the people of God, the kingdom, we have a different relationship when it comes to approaching the throne. And this is profound. This cannot be overstated just how profound and how uh, incredible and how crucial this understanding is. If we're going to go forward in understanding what prayer is, how do we do it? And if we're hoping to improve our prayer lives, we we can't get into the technicalities and the hows and the whats until we grasp this, until we are wowed by this, until our hearts are changed by this, until our posture is informed by this. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, writes this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father... He said, is the Christian name for God. And don't, don't miss that. Don't miss how profound that is. Listen, this is what got Jesus in trouble. You realize that, right? They thought, they thought that Jesus was treating God flippantly because he said, Hey, he's my father. And I'm equal with him, right? This is, this is the thing that was offensive to the Pharisees is because Jesus was approaching God in such a way. He was claiming him as father. He was telling the, you know, these Pharisees that their father wasn't Abraham. In fact, their, their, their father was the devil, right? And so the world wants to think of this collective, you know, um, this universal childhood you know, of God. We're all children of God. And, and, and that's true in the sense that God has created us all. And Paul says that in Acts 17, we're all his offspring. But as far as being children... And being given rights as children—that is only for those who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation. Like that, that is where we receive. This adoption, this idea, this doctrine of adoption is 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 lost on many of us. We we take it for granted that we're children of God. John chapter one, verse twelve says this. Okay, so this is this is kind of push against this idea of universal children of God. Like everybody, just because you're human is not a, a child of God in that sense. Yes, God is your creator, but your relationship with him is not one of father and son or father and daughter, unless you're under the blood of Jesus Christ. John one chapter chapter one, verse twelve says, but to all who did receive him. Okay, so there's a distinction there because the world rejected him. That's the context. Jesus is sent by God. He is God. He takes on flesh to show the world who God is, but the world did not receive him. That's the context of John chapter 1. But he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, he's saying, this is not people who just were born into the right family. He's pushing against the idea that only the Jews were in this relationship. This is a, this is a new covenant deal. He's pushing against the, only those who have achieved you know, religious superiority by you know, following the law. He's pushing against that. He's saying, no, no. Only those who have been born, not of the flesh, not of these rights or the will of man, but of God. Only those can be called the children of God. 1 John Chapter 3 starts out this way: He says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. We know about the love of God. John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, what, to, to what end? He, he says this, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So yeah, Jesus is talking of God as his father when he's telling people that, that they can be received by God. It, it, it is, it is um, I mean, some commentators would even say the way that he approached things was presumptuously uh, conceited at best or blasphemous at worst, which is, again, what got him in a lot of trouble. It was just unheard to talk about God that way. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller pastored in New York City, and he talked about um, having a conversation with some Muslims and talking about, uh, you know, calling God Father. And they were quick to say, no, no, we, we, we could never do that. Like, he's too great. Like, we don't talk about him that way because, like, we don't pretend that we can relate to him that way because he, he's, he's too great and, and far removed. And, and so, well, here's the question. Is our God less than theirs? Do do we not have a great God too? Are we doing something wrong by approaching him this way? No, no, no. You see, the difference is we have a great God as well. The difference is how we relate to him because we can call him father because we've been adopted because he's done something about the chasm that stands between him and his holiness and us and our filth. Like they are right to regard God in in a in a a far removed in a holy way. Right, Jesus is going to teach us to to say, "Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name." Like that says, His name is set apart. He is unlike us. We should not view ourselves as on the same level and and entitled to be in His presence. By no means, right? That is good and right. But the difference is that we have been brought in by the blood of Christ to the point that we actually can call Him Father. Many, like, you've heard us pray, and you've likely been taught to pray yourself that we pray what? In Jesus' name. What's that about? You ever thought about that? The impact of praying in Jesus' name. What that does is that, that, that clarifies on what basis we're approaching this God, right? Um, it, it's a profound statement from Jesus in John 17 when he is praying the high priestly prayer, and, and in fact, it's kind of interesting to think about, if you think about this, some people would push back on the label of this, this passage here in Matthew 6 being called the Lord's Prayer, because Jesus himself wasn't necessarily actively praying it. He was more giving it to us as a model, and if, if you really wanted to title something the Lord's Prayer, that would be, you know, maybe more appropriately attached to the, uh, the garden discourse in John 15, 16, and 17, and and from that discourse, when when Jesus is on his face before the Lord, knowing he's headed to the cross the next day, uh, this is where he prays until his sweat turns to blood, this is where he prays, same same context, asking, you know, that the Lord would take this cup from him, which we'll talk more about next week, but he's praying for us in that moment, it's a profound, it's, it's a profound passage to think that Jesus is praying, and he's praying not just for his disciples in that moment that are around him in the flesh, but for those who are to come, he's praying for you and I, Right, in 2020, he's praying for the church, he's praying for his people. And in that moment, he's saying, I and I, I them and you and me, Lord, that they may become perfectly one. He's praying for unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me and loved them, even as Tim Keller says, we should never get over those two words. Even as you loved me. This is Jesus saying, Lord, make the church so in love with you. And in unity with one another, that the world would know that indeed, this Jesus that is spoken of was sent by God to rescue and to redeem sinners who had gone gone astray, and and to the point that the world would know that those who have received Jesus as Savior are loved by God in the same way that God loves Jesus himself, even as you have loved me. Listen, that's that's a profound statement. So Jesus says, hey, you, you, don't, you don't come to God on the basis of earning his favor and calling in favor, right? We, we don't come to God as, as, a, as a tenant does to a landlord, right? If I'm a, if I'm a tenant, if I'm a boarder at somebody's house, if I've paid rent, I, I have some rights, right? I have some expectations from them. Toilet breaks, I, I have an expectation. I'm going to call them. They're going to come fix it, Right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wowed with gratitude about the landlord showing up or sending a contractor to fix the toilet. Why? Because I paid my, paid my lease. That's, that's part of the deal. Right? And, and, and so if we approach God in this business like transactional way that, okay, I, I, I do these things and then you, you, you know, I do this for you. I live this way. I give some money. I show up at church. I, I don't do these things. I try to live holy. Okay, God, you owe me these things. So when I pray now, I'm just expecting you to show up and expecting you to do the things that I've asked you to do because I've kind of, you know, I've invested and, and so I'm not real wowed by it. But there's, Jesus said, that, that's how the pagans operate. That, that's how people that don't know God operate. No, no, you're, you're different. You're different. You're coming to God as a child comes to a father. So back to the Muslims saying, oh no, God's too great. We can never... Talk to him that way. Who's the only one who would dare to wake up a king in the middle of the night for a glass of water? That king's child, right? The only one who would be so bold as to as to approach somebody with so much power, so much authority, so much reverence and awe from the world. The only one who would walk right up and just ask. It's the kid. Right? I I don't even remember which comedian it was, but one comedian was talking about being at Disney and seeing uh, like uh, UFC heavyweight champion of the world, or maybe it wasn't heavyweight. One of the one of the weight classes, and this dude's like undefeated. He's whooped everybody. He's like the baddest dude on the planet. And he sees him, and he's there with his little girl, and is and 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 like everybody that notices the dude's there is just kind of like, oh my gosh, like you've seen him on TV, like that's a bad dude. Like nobody make him angry. He can literally take anybody here. So, everybody that knows him has this reverence about him. But you guess what? His little girl runs right up, punches him in the leg, and asks him for something and talks back. Why? Because to her, that's her dad. You see the difference there? You see the, the different way that we interact based on how we're approaching, based on how we view God? If we think this is a business relationship, we just throw, we've, we've thrown some stuff at God by, by showing up, doing our thing, now we're entitled to this, then, then okay, that, that's, that's, not, that's not the intimate invitation that Jesus is saying here. So he's painting this picture of, hey, this is how people approach God. I'm telling you, you're a child of the king. Come before him in that posture. Come before him in that way. All, and, and then now you start to see all these Parables. That Jesus teaches about prayer. Right? Come boldly. Ask over and over it. How many of y'all with kids are like, okay, I heard somebody say this week, asked and answered, asked and answered, ask and answered. Stop, right? Stop saying it. You've asked me 15 times, I've already told you no. Like kids do that, just keep asking. They're not ashamed. They just come and keep asking. Jesus teaches us to pray like that. Keep asking. Right? All these parables about persistent widows, all these parables about coming before the king, like Jesus is trying to correct something about us. We view our relationship with God wrongly. We underestimate what Jesus has done for us at the cross. We underestimate the power of adoption. We underestimate being called child of God. When you miss it, when you gloss over that, when that's just an afterthought, you will not pray correctly. You will not have a rich prayer life. There will be no, your kingdom come, your will be done. There'll be no, give us this day our daily bread. There'll be no right posture to the rest of this if we don't understand that we're talking to our dad, if we're talking to our father. I was talking to my wife on the way here and, uh, about some stories, because my mind immediately went to foster care. Because here's the deal, when you're, like, if you have kids or you, have been a kid, and you had a decent relationship with your parents, you know that that's a different relationship than the landlord, right? The landlord may like you even, but you keep acting a fool, breaking the rules, at some point you got to go, right? It's different when it's your flesh, isn't it? It's different when it's your family. There's There's a different tolerance, a different posture, a different heart that goes out to that. And, it, and it's really clear to me, uh, kids in foster care. If you've seen some of the movies of them showing up with trash bags full of their stuff, it's not over dramatization. Happens right here, among us. And I remember a story of one little girl. I don't know, if she's under ten. She's coming into home. She's been in multiple. And she asked the foster mom, "Where do I set my stuff until I leave again?" It's a genuine question from her. And that foster mama said, no, sweetie, you get, you get to stay here. You get to stay here, unless you go home to mama, you're, you're staying here. It sounds simple. We take for granted that permanency. We take for granted that, that security that comes with that. Kids in care don't take that for granted. She told me another story of a, of a family who said yes to an 18-year-old boy. Um, on a short-term basis. They were just planning on doing it just like he needed a home for a few days. And they're like, okay, cool. Like, well, and he had a lot of big behaviors. Lots of big behaviors. Running away, cussing, fighting. I don't know, probably stealing. I don't know. Lots of big behaviors. And they said yes to him. And um, plan on it being short-term. But he got there, and, and, um, and they fell in love with him. And they called the agency and said, hey, he's staying here. Uh, don't don't look for a group home. Don't look for another home. He's staying with us. And um, whenever they're able to verbalize that to him, it's one thing. But then, as he began to test that, as he began to, you know, continue in his big behaviors, and they didn't ask him to leave, like the previous umpteen homes had, it began to change something in his heart. She told me, they told him, like, no, buddy, you're with us, you're ours. So much so, that that mom and dad went and got matching tattoos with that guy. Just permanently identifying with him. Saying, you're mine. Oh, you're ours, buddy. Don't worry about it next place you're going. You're, we're your family. Permanently identifying with him. Guess what happened to his behaviors? Guess what happened to his heart? Was it an instant fix? Is everything easy? No, but but what what he was longing for was to somebody to say, hey, I'm in with you unconditionally. I got you. It doesn't matter what happens, I got you. Many of you have told your kids that I love you and nothing will change that. You're mine. Nothing you could do, good or bad, is gonna change how much I love you, right? That's unconditional love, and, and, and what we have experienced in the gospel is Jesus has come and said, whatever you have done, all your behaviors, if you'll trust in me, right here on the cross. All of them. We sang a song last week, thrown into an ocean without bottom or shore. Nobody's fishing them back out. Nobody's going to hang them back over. Nobody's given us until this point to, to get our act together and we're, we're kicked out of the kingdom. No, no. <laughs> Jesus got our names tattooed on him. He's, got, he, he's permanently bound. The, 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 the scars are permanently in his hands and in his feet and in his side, screaming, they're mine. They're mine. Nobody's going to take them from them. The Bible says nobody plucks us out of Jesus' hands. We are his. And that truth Provides us, Jesus' blood provides us the opportunity to be adopted, and it fundamentally changes how we interact with Him. We had the privilege of, of adopting our little man Logan, and, and the judge says, such a beautiful, eloquent, she says, as though He were born of your flesh. That's how this is from now on. It's not just an emotional feeling, it's not just the, you know, we're kind of in, it's not just, yeah, we'll keep Him. No, no, He's, he's mine, He's ours. Nobody's going to tell me that boy's not mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. He's a bird. He's my boy, right? No matter what he does. He's my boy forever. Jesus went to the cross to purchase that for us. The truth of adoption into the family of God should should radically transform how we approach God in prayer. So so now Jesus says, hey, your father doesn't need to be treated like that. He's your father. Some of you have really bad relationships with your father. You don't know how to interact with God because your earthly dad did not set you up well for that. Even the best of earthly dads, it is it is is a vastly different relationship that we have with a perfect God. But some of you have some real wounds there and you don't know how to come to God. Some of you, your challenge for prayer. In fact, a lot of us, our challenge with praying is not the knowing how or the, or the falling asleep or being distracted. It's, it's believing that we get to come to God as Father. It's believing that we have this sort of relationship with Him. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, Dad, Father. it says in Romans like when we're, when we're saved like, our, our spirit gets to cry out Abba Father it's, it's like saying Daddy our Father who art in heaven and, and I don't want you to hear that that heaven does, shouldn't mean this miles away like a planet think, think realms not planets think, think the, in the heavens is not this far removed disconnected from our life it, it, it's, it's right here he's near us our Father in heaven hallowed be your name there's nobody else like him There's nobody else with the power that he has. He's the one who created the world. If you read Job, right? Like Job's problem, like the issues that he was having with resolving what has gone on in his life. The the primary issue that Job is addressing, the book of Job, is how does Job view God? You remember when when Job finally gets a response from God, it's like this. Hey, Job, I'm sorry. I know you have a lot of questions, but where were you? Where were you when I told the oceans where to stop? Where were you when I designed the beast of the field? Where were you whenever I, I, I told the earth just how much gravity it was going to have so that it didn't crush us or fling us off into space? Where, 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 I'm sorry, Job. Where were you? Why? He wants to make Job feel better. No, he wants Job to have a right view of who he is. God, his name is holy. His name is hallowed. He, and, and so we're not praying that his name would be holy. We're praying that, that, we would, that we would operate that way, that we would see it that way, that it would form inform our posture. His name is hallowed and holy whether we think it or not, but may it be treated as such. And when we get this, this idea of him being our father and who he is, when we get those things connected, we're going to do part two next week, so this will uh, all connect. But when we get there, then we start to see his kingdom come, we start to see that, oh, when I come to pray, it's not just about getting out my list of, of, of things that I want him to do for me. Now we're not coming to God as a, as, a, as, a, as a guy with a genie in a bottle would come. We're not coming to God like a pinata trying to get stuff out of him. We're not coming to God with our list of requests. We're coming to God as our father. We're having conversations with him. We're communicating with him and we see him rightly and we realize, okay, he knows better than me. So I have some things I'm going to ask him for, but first I'm going to praise and adore and worship him and I'm going I'm to ask for his name to be treated rightly in my own heart and in, in the hearts of people around me and then I'm going to ask for his kingdom to come and his will be done on on earth as it is in heaven. What is that about? It means we have a new citizenship, a new identity. We've been plucked out of our sin, out of our death, and our, our deadness and sin, and put into the family of God. We have a new identity. And Jesus is saying is now, as a part of that new identity, we get to be a part of ushering in His kingdom. We get to be a part of advancing His kingdom. So Jesus says, okay, part of our prayer, we're going to be talking about what we, got, what we want God to do. We need to have in mind, what is God doing? What is He doing? He's advancing His kingdom on the earth. Yeah, he cares about what you experience and what you're doing, but his his primary concern is his kingdom come, his his values being advanced to the world. The whole Sermon on the Mount, we've said this is, the context is the kingdom is here. Jesus said it, right? Right before chapter five starts, the kingdom is here. As as the Sermon on the Mount wraps up, the kingdom is here. It's, It's this Okay, what does the kingdom look like? And that's what we've been talking about. The Beatitudes, that, that's the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, okay, you have a different citizenship. You have a different name. You're a child of God. So now as you go, you should take the kingdom with you. Right? So for, for them, they, they would have been more familiar with like, they're living under Roman rule, but they're probably, you know, they're from Galilee or they're from Philippi or whatever. And so it, like Roman culture is being pushed on them and perpetuated out through, but they still have, you know, their, their roots. So he's, they're, they're familiar with living in a different place or being ruled by a different deal and cultural you know, transformation. And we don't think about that as much, maybe, but we have a culture here in Southern Illinois. I don't know if you know that. If you're not from here, you know it. Or if you've lived somewhere else, you know it. My wife and I realized that when we moved to St. Louis. Like we, we, we knew we were country. Like we didn't know how country we were until we moved to St. Louis. Um, I remember, so Pastor Rusty, y'all know him. He was down here for a while, but before that, when we got up there, he was, he was the interim pastor at Tower Grove, and, and he, uh, he wanted us to feel welcome which was a great, we appreciated that. So he had us over to his house with two other couples and his house was way out in Chesterfield in West County. Really nice area. Um, one of the nicer homes I've ever been in. So we're driving out there with these two other, cu- like we're going out to meet these two other couples. I drive out, I don't know if we still had my Jeep at that time with mud tires. Anyway, but I roll up and there's a monster buck in his yard. And so like I walk in the door and I'm like, man. And, and the others walk in the door like, oh, we saw some really pretty deer out here. And I'm like, yeah, is anybody hunt out here? Can I, can I bring my bow? Like, can I hunt? And they're just like I could see already. They're like, "You hunt?" I was like, "Yeah, don't you?" Anyway, so it just got worse from there. We just we realized through the night, like, "Oh, we're we're kind of spectacles." At one point, they were like, "So do y'all? Actually, do you guys like listen to country music?" And we were like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. So that? I'm I'm not kidding, y'all. At one point. They were taking turns playing the piano and quoting Shakespeare sonnets. <laughs> yeah. And they looked at us, they're like, Do you have a favorite? And we're like, <laughs> Read Romeo and Juliet once. Like, I. E tu brute? Like. So I got. Like we were spectacles, right? We brought our Selenoa culture to St. Louis and they did not know what to do with it. Listen, we're part of the kingdom of God now. Where we go, we bring the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Where we go, we bring those values, the Beatitudes, the way we live, the way we do love, the way we do money, the way we do sex, the way we do parenting. We have an influence on the culture to say, this is how we do it. We're like people coming from the future, right? Can you imagine showing up 15 years ago 20 years ago and and be like listen one day you're gonna have a phone that you can just like do anything on and trying to explain an iphone to somebody it would just be bananas right it would it would it would be hard like but we're like coming from the future because we know how this is all going to end we know the kingdom values we know the righteousness that jesus is going to usher in so we show back up here in our space and we say hey this is how you treat money This is how you treat one another this is how you treat sex and relationships and, and family and, and church and, and, and work. Right? So we, your kingdom come, Jesus. Like that should be a part of our objective when we're coming before the Lord. Help me to embody your kingdom and to advance your kingdom. And then when we have those things in place, when we realize God is our good father who has good in mind for us, when we realize his kingdom is the most important thing, then we could say your will be done. Right? not that it's an easy prayer. When we realize how he's a good father, he can be trusted. and we realize his kingdom is the most important thing that be, is being advanced here. Not my agenda, not what I want, not what I think should happen, but his kingdom. When we get there, then we could say, you will be done. Okay, so we'll flesh it out more next week as we talk about this part two and how we actually approach God and petition and, and pray. Um, but as we wrap up today, I, I want to close with some self-reflection. I want you to ask yourself some questions about how you approach God. Seriously, think about your prayer life. It's telling. What's your prayer life like? Are you, are you like the, the hypocrites who only pray whenever it's expected of you and people are watching? Or are you praying in private when nobody else is watching? Is it because you love the Lord? This is not a guilt thing. This is an invitation thing. Jesus is saying, look at your prayer life. See what it indicates about how you view your relationship with God. And if it's anything other than a child coming before their father, you've missed the gospel. So that's not to shame and guilt you. That's to invite you to come and receive the gospel. Listen, some of you don't treat yourself as a child of the King. Some of you treat yourself, you you speak to yourself, you view yourself as an orphan. When the king of kings has said, no, no, you're mine, right? Kids in in care, they struggle to receive that so often because they don't know if it's really true or if that family's going to ask them to leave or not. When they begin to realize, oh, they're really not going to ask me to leave, they start to settle in, they start to let their hearts be healed, right? And there's a beauty of that. Listen, the gospel is, he's never going to ask you to leave. He's not in love with some future version of you. He's not waiting for you to figure it out. He loves you as you are. Romans 5, 8 says that in this, he shows their love to us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. You're never going to jack it up so much that he's done with you. So stop viewing yourself that way. And you'd correct somebody else, wouldn't you? If they, like, if they were talking to a child of the king, and like they didn't know it was a child of the king, you'd be like, hey, whoa, whoa, watch who you're talking to there. Like that. Their dad's the king, right? Listen, some of you need to hear that said to you. Don't talk to yourself that way. Don't think about yourself that way. You're a child of the king. What, what, what's characteristic of your prayer life? Is it full of shame? Is it full of... Oh, I, do, you, do you only come to God when you feel like you've had a good week and you feel like you're okay to be in his presence because you've been pretty good? Is your prayers full of you know just self talk? Oh, you know, Lord, I'm I'm, like so sorry. Like, are you able to talk to Him as a as a child speaks to his father? Some of you have never ran home, or so no. Some of you have never allowed yourself to limp home and to lift your head and see the Father running toward you. Some of you still have this posture. The prodigal son's coming home and he's got his speech prepared, his many words, right? He's just hoping he can just be a servant. Right, He's got his head hung low. Lord, I know I messed it up, Dad. I just, if I could just work for you in the lowest of positions. He looks up and he, instead of seeing this begrudging father, that's right, you will, right? You, you figured it out and maybe we'll talk, no. What does he see? He says, dad throws off his garment, totally undignifies himself and is running toward him to, to totally wrap him up and, and to give him new clothes. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God of heaven sent Jesus to totally be undignified, to be born as a naked child in a manger, to grow up and to be stripped again at age 33 on the cross, naked and exposed before all mankind for our sin. Why? So that he could run toward us and embrace us in his love. To to take our filth, to take our dirty garments, our dirty lives, our stories, and to get rid of them and to place His righteousness on us. To give us new clothes, to give us a new name, to give us new hope. Amen, church? Like, if you've never received Jesus in that way, that's the opportunity today. Come. The Father's arms are outstretched, they're open wide, they're waiting. Jesus has made a way for you to step forward. It's not on your own terms, it's not, no, you come in Jesus' name. And he says that he will receive you as he has received even Jesus. Let's pray. God help us to grasp this, to not be take, to not take this lightly, to not be used to this, to not just move beyond. Help, like some of us have got to do the hard work of self-reflection and, and, and acknowledging that we've never let you in, that we have stood with our head hung full of shame, that we've stood keeping people at a distance, and especially you. I pray today that that you would speak adoption over some people here that are struggling with so much self-doubt and shame and fear and condemnation. I pray that people today would, would hear for the first time that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that they can be in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would just save people and those of us that have already trusted in your salvation, that we would be overwhelmed by once again, you, the great king of the universe, calling us your own overwhelm us, Father, Dad. I confess, it feels feels a little lighthearted and blasphemous to even say that, Daddy, but but you command us to to get there, to, to receive the gospel, to receive your blood to such a point that we boldly approach the throne of grace and say, Daddy, I need help. Help us to do that.
1: As we sing this final song, Lord, stir in your people. It's in your name we pray.